The Supreme Court hears arguments in a new abortion case. Inflation continues to get worse, and Twitter bans journalism. I'm William Hall, and this is The William Hall Show. Welcome back to the show. So there's actually a clip that I forgot to play on the last episode of the podcast. And basically, it's a clip of Ron DeSantis talking about the Waukesha incident. Remember, that's the one with the SUV. uh, And the black guy was driving the SUV, literally ran over a bunch of people at this Christmas parade. But I just wanted to show a a quick clip of DeSantis. Uh, He was in Florida talking about this and really just exposing the media's bias. You can go ahead and check it out here. Is that how it works? The SUVs, they just drive by themselves? This just kind of happened? And they say, oh, this was a big accident. Uh, You never actually hear the discussion about who committed this. Uh, What was the motivation? Uh, This guy was a career criminal, let out on, didn't really have any bail, basically. Should not have even been on the street. Uh, Had clear anti-white animus. uh, And this was an intentional act. And it seems like, you know, for corporate press, they're more apt to uh, characterize a parent who goes to a school board meeting to protest bad policies as a domestic terrorist than somebody who intentionally rams an SUV into a crowd of innocent people. So you have at least six have died. You have many more that have been injured. I know many people are in the hospital. And so uh, let's just be clear. This was not a car just driving in. This was an attack by a felon who did that, who should not have been on the street. And we'll see what the actual motivation was. Uh, It very well may have been in response to what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse. And you have to wonder if that's the case. Almost surely, this guy's view of Rittenhouse was was colored by all these media lies. He brought a a, a rifle across state lines. That's a lie. They said that the initial altercation with Jacob Blake, that Blake was unarmed. That's a lie. They covered up Blake's criminal history. Uh, and then they said that Rittenhouse shot. And first of all, when you're when you're self-defense, it doesn't matter, you know, kind of what race. Or, but they would say that he shot. Most people didn't know that he shot three white people. People thought. So that's what the media has been doing. And they tend to point uh, a target on law enforcement's back. Uh, but this is just wrong. And these lies have got to stop. And if it doesn't fit your narrative, sweeping the facts under the rug is not doing the service uh, that that people uh, deserve. It is what we expect, unfortunately, from a lot of these places, uh, but it's wrong. And I think the way they've treated law enforcement across the board over the last two years has been an absolute disgrace. So let's just be clear. They are not wanting to cover this Wisconsin thing for what it is. They are not wanting the facts uh, to come out the way they are because the facts do not support their narrative. And it's all about pursuing partisan narratives. So, of course, Ron DeSantis, of course, right on the money there with his opinion of what's really taking place. And it's exactly what I was saying, that the media is biased. They are in this to try and paint this as it being some arbitrary situation when it was not. And and he's specifically talking about that article where CNN literally said SUV 
kills and injures people. Like it didn't even bring up the fact that there was a man, a black man that did it, but you know for a fact that they wouldn't be reporting it that way if in fact the person was not black, if they knew for a fact that it wasn't motivated by the Kyle Rittenhouse case. There's a lot of things there. We know the guy was a black nationalist. He had put out some questionable tweets in the past talking about hurting white people. So of course, this isn't a just a situation of obviously this person doing what they did. This is obviously what looks like a domestic terrorist act to me, in my opinion. So uh, moving on with everything really quick here. So the Supreme Court recently, as of uh, Wednesday, was actually working on this new case. It's actually dealing with abortion. And of course, uh, a lot of people were wondering, what's the importance behind this entire situation? So let's go ahead and jump right into this article here. So the actual name of the case is the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. So this is a, a case that concerns a 2018 law in Mississippi that bans most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. So as the law stands right now with Roe v. Wade, the decisions that uh, came after it hold states um, hold that states have to allow a woman to be able to get an abortion up to the point of viability. And of course, this is an issue because that's very vague. What viability technically means and, and what they typically are talking about is of course the the ability for the the baby to survive outside of the womb but the the weirdness behind that is that of course that standard has changed over the years i mean the the viability has gotten earlier and earlier and earlier as science and medicine have advanced i mean it's not the same that it was back in 2000 or anywhere near the same as it was 50 years before that at the, at the end of the day, we can only assume that it's only going to continue in that trend of getting earlier and earlier and earlier that, you know, babies can basically be born uh, or taken out of the womb much earlier and still survive that process. So what we're seeing right now is, like I said, this is specifically dealing with a 2018 law uh, that was banning the abortions after 15 weeks. The problem is that for most states, viability considered the mark to be around 20 to 24 weeks. So Basically, this law is in direct violation of Roe v. Wade, and that's really what this whole case is about. So, um, originally, Miss, uh, Mississippi said that in his petition that the questions presented in the court do not require them to overturn Roe v. Uh, or Roe or Parenthood versus Casey. But in this brief in July, however, the state wrote that Roe and Casey are egregiously wrong and said the court should overrule those decisions. So, really, this is all about. The Roe v. Wade, the Planned Parenthood versus Casey, all of these major landmark cases that basically allowed for a bunch of the Democrats to put into law that any woman, no matter what at what point that she pretty much wanted to, uh, was able to have an abortion. And of course, it was unconstitutional the entire time. It never changed at all. But now we're seeing a case that really could help to basically overrule Roe v. Wade. Now, there's some other implications that go in as a part of this, but I'll get into that a little bit later. So when the Supreme Court agreed to hear the Mississippi case, it said that it would consider the question of whether all pre-viability um, prohibitions on elective abortions are unconstitutional, meaning that this, with this decision, they could rule that states can make their own laws regarding abortion again, even possibly banning it up to the point of conception, which really is what this is all about. Because when you look at the Constitution, I was actually reading through, uh, or at least the the kind of uh, more modernized versions of the Federalist Papers fairly recently, just finished reading through all of those, and you see very clearly that the Founding Fathers never had it in their vision to make it so that 
the the federal government was running everything. That was never the point. That was never the goal. They they assumed that that actually wasn't even going to be the case, and and they really trusted that people would be more interested in their local governments far more than somebody way off in D.C., right? I mean, that's basically the gist of what it was. They assumed that people just wouldn't care as much about what these guys that were further away from them were doing because it was all about what was close. I mean, if you think about it, think about it like this. Think about your own family. Think about your own life, right? So, you know, whether you're a husband, wife, single person, it doesn't really matter. The point is that you have your own life. You have family members. You care about yourself probably the most. You care about maybe a significant other the most, as well as kids next to that. And then you also care about your own family unit, extended family, stuff like that. And then maybe things that happen in your neighborhood, you might care a little bit about, but you might, not, but you obviously don't care about that as much as your family. And then extend it to maybe your city, right? You, you care maybe kind of a little bit about what happens in your city, but nowhere near as much as you would in your neighborhood and then your county and then the state, right? They, they just assume that most people would not be fully invested into the largest institution, the federal government, but would actually be more concerned about their local governments. And, and that was the key. So the founding fathers understood this. But the problem is, is that modern day Democrats for the longest period of time have tried to give all of this power to the federal government for some reason. And, and it never made any sense why they wanted to do this, because ultimately it is the states that should have the power. So it's very weird. We're in a weird situation right now where the federal government is basically saying, hey, states, you can have your power back that you should have had all along. It's really odd that this is happening as it is, because that should have been the way that it was. That's the way that it was for gay marriage, if you remember that, where basically certain states allowed for gay marriage and certain states didn't. Some people just didn't want to do it in their states. Now it's pretty much a federal requirement that any federal place does and allows for gay marriages. I mean, and of course, they were even trying to come out to the churches, too. Uh, but you just have to look at it and understand really where all of this is going and what the implications really are is that the, the Democrats are trying and have tried in the past to basically get the federal government to federalize everything, to, to pull a blanket over the states and say, states, you don't matter. When in reality, the founding fathers, the actual original document, the Constitution, was designed around the states having said power and the, and the federal government being the weaker of, the actual t of those two things. The states always were supposed to take uh, the number one spot. But now we're seeing where that's been taken away. And so this case is really about trying to give the power back to the states. So in, say, a conservative state like Florida or Texas for now, um, you have to look at the fact that, hey, if they don't want abortions, that they'd be able to get rid of them in their state. If somebody wants to do that, they need to move to a different state to make that happen. So that's basically what we're dealing with right now in this case. So currently, at least 21 states have... Um, some kind of pro-life laws or constitutional amendments that uh, would make it so that all abortions in their states would be illegal if Roe v. Wade is overturned. OK, so that's really what this is going to come down to right now as well. And uh, th there's also a statement in the article here that there's an additional five states that would probably um, prohibit abortion as well as soon as they could after if that's what winds up happening. So really, now, now this isn't done. This isn't a done deal yet. It's not like the case has been closed or anything. They've only made the argument so far as Wednesday this week. But this is something to keep your eyes on, because if this can actually be uh, overturned, 
then Roe v. Wade can get overturned, and as a result of which, it would allow the states to have the power. This is, and I know for a lot of people, they get it twisted in their minds, thinking for some reason that if Roe v. Wade were gone, all abortions would cease. That's not true, okay? That, that's just not how things work. Ultimately, it would just put the power back in the states. That's what this is all about. So it's not going to outright ban abortion. It's not going to do that. This fight is far from over, even if uh, Roe v. Wade were to get overturned. And of course, it's still a major deal. That, that doesn't uh, take the seriousness of the situation away whatsoever. But if, in fact, this does get overturned, it doesn't mean that abortions are going to go away. It's simply going to put it in the power of the states to actually do what the states should have been given the power to do from the very beginning. And we can finally stop with this federalizing everything, trying to do this top-down approach that Democrats love so much to basically tell everybody what to do instead of understanding that we got the name of the United States because we are the United States. It's not uh, one overarching government that basically tells everybody what to do by requirement. So, of course, as this is happening outside of the or in the Supreme Court, you have people right outside of the Supreme Court protesting all of this. So this is actually a clip of some of the protesters that are there and they are actually taking abortion pills right in front of the Supreme Court. Now, of course, this is just a sick video, to be honest with you, but um, what you're seeing here is obviously them trying to protest all of this by taking these ridiculous pills. And and if, if, if you haven't seen the movie Unplanned, I highly advise that you see that movie. Uh, it really gives a very good perspective of the difference of different types of abortion that happen right now and how none of them are this easygoing uh, process of just letting it work like you know like you're taking some headache medicine or something that's not how this works you're, you're literally killing a child with a pill that is something that can target the child and not you to a certain degree but if you actually watch that movie they they talk extensively about uh different women that have taken the abortion pills and how they literally felt like they were going to die uh just just tons of blood everywhere just a ridiculously horrible horrible experience uh, for them. So, you know, these people that are pretending as if it's just some regular medicine or something, uh, it's it's not. This stuff is basically poison. Uh, it's targeted poison, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt the woman in the process of that, of that as well. But you, you, like I said, you have these people that are trying to, to protest all of this, and they're evil. I mean, that's what this is. They, remember, these are the same people, by the way, because normally they're the ones saying, my body, my choice. We hear that all the time. But when it comes down to the vaccine mandates, well, they feel like you don't have a choice with what you do with your actual body. Because and the reason why I've, I've always kind of have spoken out against the whole using my body, my choice. Obviously, we get that they're hypocritical. But, you know, when I am saying my body, my choice, if I'm using that literal argument to argue for the vaccines, it means that I'm saying basically that what their argument is, is also valid, that the baby is a part of their body. It isn't their body. It's a separate 
human being. It always has been. So it isn't their body. Therefore, they have no right to kill it or to do anything like that. So that is the way that I see it. But of course, I'm just using the statement that they have that they use all the time and just pointing out the fact that, you know, they know for a fact, because it's a fact that the actual vaccine is something that is a part of your body. It's literally your health. And yet they're the ones telling you that you must do this. You, you must go along with this. So how can they simultaneously support abortion, but also feel like you must also do the vaccine? You must also take uh, give your health to the government and allow them to basically force you to take whatever it is that they feel is the flavor of the week at that current time. That's really what I'm kind of focused on right now as far as where these people are. So they're obviously a bunch of hypocrites. We can see that very clearly, but these people are absolutely evil to be doing this type of stuff, to be trying to um, put in all of these, uh, all of this effort to, to do what? To, to basically say that you have the right to kill a, a, a child. It's absolutely insane. This is why I don't care what these people really have to say about any of this, because these are the baby killers. They literally are. I'm going to continue to refer to them that way because that's what they do. These aren't just some people that are uh, just of a different opinion. They are killing children and the amount of children that die due to abortion is absolutely astronomical. And I posted about this on social media as well uh, quite recently. But I was basically saying that if the government really cared, I mean, if they really actually cared about you or children or anything like that or women or whoever it is, why don't they fund abortion instead of funding Planned Parenthood? I mean, Planned Parenthood, the majority of their money is coming from the government. So why is it if they truly cared about any of this, uh, of any of these people or anything at all, why are they funding the genocide of unborn babies instead of actually the adoption of them? It makes you think, makes you wonder because the priorities are messed up. That's what I've been trying to point out for the longest period of time, that they obviously have their priorities all over the place. Now, of course, the Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas is the most consistent, most conservative justice on the Supreme Court, and probably one of the ones that people don't even really pay attention to as much as they should, because, of course, he's black as well, but the thing is that the guy knows exactly what he's talking about when it comes out of this. He's wanted Roe v. Wade to be overturned for a long period of time. So he's literally one of the most conservative, straight to the text of the Constitution, uh, justices that we have in the court right now. Now, you look at uh, Kavanaugh, which is not, he's not great, honestly, with a lot of his decisions. And Amy Coney Barrett, surprisingly, hasn't been all that great either. But we don't know where she's going to land. She's kind of the... X factor in all of this, as far as where she's going to land in her decision with this. But as far as uh, Clarence Thomas, he basically made the question or, or made this uh, several questions here where he asked, does a mother have the right to ingest drugs and harm a pre-viable baby? Can the state bring child neglect charges against the mother? So once again, th this is them reviewing this, this whole case and everything. Um, and, and he said, that's not what this case is about, but a woman has a right to make choices about her body. And and what he's basically trying to do is point out the fact when, when you're looking at what he's saying in the first statement there is that does the mother have the right to do all of this stuff to basically kill this baby, right? Like, is that something that's actually legitimately in the constitution? Because 
really Democrats have been making the other argument basically saying, well, because it's not in there, that means that she has a full right to do it. And it's like, wait a minute, that's not how that works, right? But but the Democrats aren't following the Constitution. They don't care anything about that at all. So he basically kind of uh, owns them in that particular situation. So I will definitely be keeping you updated on the situation with that particular case um, and let you know exactly what's happening with that. Most likely, based off of the show schedule, it might wind up falling on something where you have to see it on social media where I'm, where I'm at uh, quicker. But either way, I'll definitely keep you updated. They're still in deliberation with this whole thing, so we'll see what happens. But like I said, this is that's why it's a big deal. That's why all of this is so, so, so important because it's a lot more than just some run-of-the-mill uh, uh, case that's going through the Supreme Court. This truly is one of the most important, important things that we can ever actually have going on right now in uh, in our current day politics. So uh, jump into the next story here. So Rumble. Rumble's the video platform that actually is supposed to be countering YouTube. So I'm on there. The show's going on there. You might even be watching this right now on Rumble. But they have now gone public. So what does that mean? Basically, it means that they are no longer a private company. They are now a publicly traded company, which means they are effectively beholden to shareholders. Now, of course, Rumble is presenting this like it's great news. And as well, Dan Bongino, uh, which I've listened to for a while, same thing. I mean, he said that this is uh, kind of the plan all along was to go public with this. The problem I have, and this is why I'm just I'm just laying it out there as a foundational thing, because I don't think they've done anything crazy yet. But just so that people are aware and paying attention to what's happening what could wind up taking place is that they may want, you might want to see a bunch of different basic rules and things changing. You might see them start turning into a little bit of like YouTube because they're beholden to the shareholders. If the shareholders say, Hey, look, get rid of this person on this platform that I don't like very much. That's kind of out there with their views or opinions, even though they haven't threatened violence against anybody, even though they're not racist or whatever you want to call it. If, if at any point in time that happens, or and they threaten to pull their money, their shares from the company, guess what Rumble's probably going to do? They're probably going to censor that person. So just keep your eyes peeled because of what's actually happening here. Uh, they sent in a statement that Rumble is creating uh, the rails to a new infrastructure that will not be bullied by cancel culture. Now, he's saying that, but like I said, I, we don't know that. Remember, YouTube isn't specifically... YouTube never started this way, right? YouTube didn't end up and make its uh, big splash... By censoring a bunch of people. It started out where people, everybody was making a ton of money on YouTube, where everybody was doing a really good job. Um, they, they understood what was happening. It was all free and open, and anybody could use it. Anybody could pretty much advertise it, no matter what your content was. Then all of a sudden, everything got, started getting all uh, a, a, a basically controlled by the advertisers, by shareholders, by Google. You know the story. So it didn't start that way. So really, we have to just watch out for the, the signs that Rumble is going to end up this way at some point. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Um, they said they were founded in 2013, hit a record of 36 million active users uh, in the quarter of 2021. So we know there's a lot of people that are on the site, a lot of uh, a lot of other things like that. But regardless, if something does happen to Rumble, you can always find my show on Gab TV, uh, one place that I know for a fact that nothing's going to happen because I'm not worried about them losing their soul to a bunch of people that are basically going to tell them what they can and cannot do as a company. So just keep that in mind. We'll keep our eyes peeled in that particular situation. Now, Twitter, for example, uh, speaking of big tech, you remember they have now uh, added a new CEO or they have this new CEO, Jack Dorsey, stepped down. 
Uh, and this new guy basically was worse than Jack Dorsey based off of previous statements that he was making about assuming that pretty much all white people were racist, which is ridiculous and insane that he's even able to get a job with that tweet out like that. It's just crazy. Remember, they probably hired this guy knowing he said that. Just keep that in mind. So Twitter, shortly after, literally just very shortly after that, announced a new rule. So the new rule states, beginning today, we will not allow the sharing of private media, such as images or videos of private individuals without their consent. Publishing people's private info is also prohibited under the policy as it is threatening or incentivizing others to do so. Now, of course, we can understand the whole publishing private in people's private information or whatever. That's like doxing. We know that that's not something you're, you're allowed to do pretty much on any site anyways. But the first statement where it says you're not allowed to share uh, private media such as images or videos of private individuals without their consent. Now, who does this hurt the most? Who do you know that I've, I've played clips of on this show before, obviously, that kind of does this for a living? If you, if, we'll see if you guessed it right. It's Project Veritas, right? Project Veritas makes their entire really living off of publishing videos of people without their consent. I mean, that's literally what undercover journalism is. So what they're really saying here, what Twitter is saying is, we don't want you to actually be a journalist on our site. We're banning journalism. Is that not what's happening right now? I mean, how many situations are there out there like this? I mean, clearly this is directly aimed at Project Veritas, James O'Keefe. Clearly they are upset that they have caught their CEOs and other people in, in the companies uh, saying ridiculous things. I mean, it's journalism. It's still journalism. That's how it is. This isn't, it's not illegal to do that, but yet Twitter is saying, you know what? We don't want anything to do with that anymore. It's not a coincidence. It really isn't. And so what you're probably going to start seeing is Project Veritas might try to upload a video on Twitter and it just get banned because they don't want actual real journalism on the site. They want people to be lied to. They want fake news. That's what they want. They don't want any of the truth. They don't want what the, any of the facts that are happening or anybody that does a really good job of what they do. They don't want it there. And I'm curious to see, by the way, if they treat this the same way as they would with the left. If when they do it to conservatives, that they would do it the same way. Because by the way, this type of stuff right here would have also, this validates them getting rid of, say, for example, the Hunter Biden story, right? That whole situation with the laptop, all those pictures that were leaked when uh, the New York Post put that out there, this would give them the absolute right to say, hey, look, we're taking this off and we don't care. Just give me a heads up. So that story right now, uh, based off of their new rule, would be entirely validated under this because it was private media published without their consent, without Hunter Biden's consent. So it would squash all of those stories. So just keep, just see how far reaching this is, you know? Any of those things you share could wind up ending up on that list or being considered as private information from somebody that didn't consent to you sharing it. Now, uh, in this other story here, there's actually this lady that is from Australia, and she was put in a COVID-19 uh, quarantine camp here. So I, I just kind of want to go through this very briefly, but this story just reminds me of why we need to not comply, because... This is scary stuff right here when you're looking at all of this. Now, so, so the story basically goes in 
uh, saying that three teenagers were arrested in Australia after climbing a fence to escape a uh, quarantine compound. Uh, co- sorry, compound in the middle of the night. That, that's where they kept where they keep all these people. And, and if this doesn't, if this reminds you of Germany, it reminded me of Germany as well. I mean, it really does seem something exactly from there. Really, it does. Um, so now, 26 year old uh, Haley Hodgson recently detained. Uh, detailed her experience being taken by authorities into the Howard uh, detainment camp, a 2000 person facility. So she does not have COVID by the way. So she was told um, that police had come to her door and asked her if she had a COVID test. And then she said that she admits she lied and she said she had. And then what basically happened um, is that she was forced to go to this uh, detainment facility as a result of that. Now she's saying as well that the, the camp is advertised as the safest, most functional design for quarantine in Australia. And Hodgson uh, was told she would be able to leave once she tested negative at the state run facility, but authorities kept her there for 14 days, despite being tested three times with a negative test. She was even threatened with a fine of $5,000 an equivalent of about three, $3,500 us for not wearing a mask at one point. So even though, uh, you have this happening. They still want you to wear the mask and everything like that. And then she said in her statement, you literally get put in the back of a golf buggy with your bags. And these people are in hazmat suits and everything. They don't want to come near you because they think you're infectious. They literally drop you into your room and they leave you. They don't come and say anything. They don't check up. They don't do anything. You get delivered your meals once a day and you are just left there. So this is crazy, right? This is an insane story. It, it sounds like something directly out of uh, Germany. Uh, from, you know, 70 years ago, but that's what's happening right now today in Australia, where they have these people being held in COVID camps. Imagine if that was here in the United States. I mean, we're not far off from it. If Biden just says, hey, we're going to basically build these camps around in different states around the United States. And uh, if you are found to have COVID, we're going to force you into these places. Absolutely ridiculous. This is government tyranny right here. You know what? Australia asked for it. They gave their gun rights away. They, they don't have any freedom anymore. But this is where we could be eventually if we're not careful. So make sure that you continue to non-comply, sometimes just out of principle so that we don't turn into Australia. That's what's at stake here. It's really, really important that we all do our part as uh, in regards to that. Now, uh, this is a really funny story because CNN obviously is trying to cover so hard for Biden and this terrible economy that we're in right now. Uh, I mean, if you're out buying anything or doing anything, you know, the prices are higher on every single thing. I mean, it's absolutely insane, but it's nothing new for people that are obviously paying attention to what's happening. But CNN is trying to cover for all of this. So CNN said in a story that inflation could actually be a good thing. You know, it kind of actually this kind of reminds me of Bernie Sanders. It's a good thing, right? And uh, but you know, it's a good thing for the working class Americans, is what they're saying. They're saying that it empowers workers. Okay. So let's let's go ahead and get into what their validation is behind all of this. So they said uh, uh, this the title of the actual article is why inflation can actually be good for every American and bad for rich people. So it says uh, many working class Americans will benefit from the rising prices caused by the devaluing of the U.S. dollar, especially those with a fixed debt, like a 30 year in a uh, 30 year mortgage. Now, the problem with this logic here, of course, already off the bat 
is that you're talking about people that are not rich. Okay. So when they're talking about this, many of these people don't even have a 30 year mortgage to see an advantage there. And regardless of that, they still are getting paid uh, or the amount of money that they're making technically is lesser simply because of the inflation. So they say in the article, wages are going up, which not only empowers workers, but also gives them more money to pay down debt, which means the cost of your mortgage is holding steady while the amount of money you have to pay for it is going up. The issue is once again, whatever price increases are happening in the workplace right now, a lot of that is happening mainly because uh, yeah, inflation is a part of that, but also because of the fact that less people are wanting to work simply because of the fact that Biden has been terrible with the economy, giving people all these stimulus things, giving people unemployment bon- uh, bonuses and stuff that right there keeps a lot of people out of the workplace. So employers are kind of forced, their hands are kind of forced to do this. It's not like they have a, a choice, really. They kind of have to. They want people to continue to work for their company um, or else they're going to leave or or just or they're not going to have the people to staff whatever it is that they're doing. But this article, this this whole this person gets everything about this entirely wrong because they're assuming that they have a mortgage to pay. Even if you do, it doesn't matter at the, at the end of the day because it's all about what you pay day to day. What you feel day to day is always going to be about that. There's never a good situation where the devaluing of the U.S. dollar is a good thing. I have no idea why in the world they're talking about that. By raising everybody's wages up, it's, it's like the minimum wage, right? You look at that. The more you raise it up, the, the less the, va- the dollar value means anything. It really just turns into this thing, this this uh, contest where they're just seeing who can raise it up higher, and eventually everybody's just making more money, but they're also paying more money for everything. So right now we're dealing with kind of a uh, an economy driven uh, inflation right now, based off of Biden's bad policy and everything. But the the workplace is merely kind of responding to said inflation. So even if you get a raise, it's not as big of a raise as you think because you're paying more for gas. You're paying more for food. You're paying more for literally everything right now. So CNN trying to cover up for Biden, it isn't going to work. Most people are smarter than that. So uh, just keep your your eyes peeled for that one with CNN articles. But uh, there's also this school now in Chicago. Or it's not a specific school. It's the Chicago Public Schools. I guess just the district there. That school district is now basically getting rid of all boys and girls bathrooms. At least the signage on the doors that say boys or girls. This is something that we've been talking about for a long time. It's something that we've seen coming. But, you know, it was at first kind of confined down to maybe malls or certain stores you know, and most of the time it was it was where they just had a gender neutral bathroom or something, right? But now, with this in schools, this is dangerous. This is absolutely dangerous to kids. This is unbelievable that they have the audacity to do this. So there was a uh, video that was released of the district. Uh, they're saying the deputy chief officer, so the district uh, heads or whatever. And they were saying that the new school just uh, sorry the new school year is off to a strong start as we're uh, as we've welcomed our students back to our school buildings five days each week. On top of ensuring that each of our schools is a safe learning environment, we're also taking steps to create a more inclusive and supportive school. One change. Uh, that will be implemented this school year relates to our school's bathrooms. In compliance with new federal guidelines, all CPS, the Chicago uh, Public School District students and staff will have 
fair and equitable, I, I hate this, this terminology, but fair and equi equitable access to bathroom facilities that align with their gender identity. We will be providing all schools with updated signage that makes our bathrooms more inclusive. It will identify the fixtures available in each restroom and make it clear that all restrooms are open for use by anyone who feels comfortable. Guys, well, well I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> but so they go on and they say staff will continue to have staff only restrooms available to them, which is an incredibly important step to increase gender equality or equity, not equality, equity for all. Um, which is why we all are requiring all schools to post signage by December 1st of the school year. So, um, and, and then it's saying also that this is a part of their long-running plan to create more permanent signage for their bathrooms. Now, the, the first part of this I want to kind of get into is where it's actually talking about uh, this idea that they want to make everybody feel comfortable. Th that is not true, okay? Th they say this, but really what it is is that they only care about the comfort notice of the one girl that's identifying as a boy or the boy that's identifying as a girl the, whoever is the trans person or the gay person or whatever it is that they're whatever what or transitioning fluid who cares the point is that they only care about their them being comfortable if you're a straight person uh or, or child that's a girl or boy and that identifies with common sense and science they don't care about how comfortable you are they will readily ignore it at, this, at the drop of a hat simply to cater to somebody else being supposedly comfortable. Now, they also say in this in this last part of it where it says staff will continue to have staff-only restrooms available. Well, what's what's age but a social construct, right, guys? I mean, <laughs> why, why not just have everybody going into the same restrooms? It, it, it's ridiculous. The point is that all of this is dumb. Just as much as staff need their own restrooms, so do boys and girls. This is at a school, for goodness sake, but yet they continue to try to push this stuff. So obviously a lot of parents are against this because you'd have to be crazy to be okay with your daughter or your son being in a bathroom with the same with the opposite sex, and, and it's absolutely insane. Uh, one of the statements they were saying here from one of the comments was, this is backwards, not acceptable. What about the girls that have uh, their periods or feel uncomfortable in the restrooms? Now they're being subjected to having boys in there too. I mean, these are some of the basic common sense arguments that people have been making for the longest period of time, but they're doing it anyways. Remember, this isn't about whether your daughter's comfortable or your son's comfortable. It's all about the precious one or two students they may have that identify a certain way. And they won't even, by the way, tell your parents like who it is. So if, for example, and I mean, if, if it's your child that's going to school, that's a boy and they're going to school as a girl, school's not going to tell you anything. So they could be making this rule for your own child and you might not even know it because the school is involved directly in making sure that the parents remain uninformed. It's insane. Somebody should be suing these schools for this kind of stuff because this is absolutely ridiculous that this is allowed to happen right now. This is not fair. It's not equitable. It's none of those things. It's simply ridiculous, and they need to leave it as it is, as it has always been, because the more we see this, I'm telling you right now, the more we're going to see uh, children in uh, dealing with traumatic situ situations, all because of this ridiculous woke stuff that they're trying to push on kids earlier and earlier uh, in their lives. So, final story for the day. Chris Cuomo, you all know him for CNN, reporter there, 
So his uh, brother, Andrew Cuomo, which was the previous governor of New York, as we all know, was involved in a big sex scandal uh, with a bunch of different previous co-workers, and they were saying, making all these different allegations. Um, not so much the point of this story, but you get the idea. So he was actually recently suspended indefinitely by CNN, which is surprising because there was a bunch of evidence showing that he was basically re- helping his brother, Andrew Cuomo, fend off accusers. So he was effectively u- reporting lies. It's <laughs> basically what's going on. He uses reporting sources to help his brother fend off sexual harassment. So in other words, he was probably going to like other people and say, hey, don't post this article talking about this or maybe maybe don't cover this part or put that in your article. So this this is fa- much farther reaching than just CNN. OK, it's all pretty much every liberal site, I can assure you, was probably running uh, defense for Andrew Cuomo, maybe not mentioning exactly the worst claims or maybe leaving some specific things out all because Chris Cuomo's running around, maybe on the phone with these people that he knows that these different, uh, organizations, maybe at MSNBC or wherever it is basically saying, Hey guys, don't cover this stuff. Don't, don't cover it. Uh, or if you're going to cover it, just, just cover the very, very basics of it. Don't say what, uh, any of the women said, uh, Literally working hand in hand to lie, to create fake news. So if you didn't already trust the media, this gives you just another reason clearly not to. Because this is farther than just Chris Cuomo. A lot of people are just focusing on Chris Cuomo. But like it's saying here, he uses reporting sources to help his brother fend off the sexual harassment accusers. So obviously using them and telling them what to report on, what not to report on. That's what's happening right now. Can you imagine how many other things they do this with? Maybe Chris Cuomo doesn't like Trump, so he goes and talks to his friends at other organizations and, and uh, networks and says, hey, why don't you post this thing about how bad Trump is? Or this lie that Trump clearly stated, uh, or this, this this lie that we're going to post about what Trump said, even though Trump didn't say that. We're going to post that, and uh, we need you to post it too. How, how much do you bet that that is happening all the time between these people? So he's been suspended. Now, how long that's going to last, I have no idea. Let's be honest. It's Chris Cuomo. It's CNN. They don't really care about the scandals. We've seen far more people get away with a lot more than this even. Uh, So we'll see how long they actually keep him suspended. But my guess is that he'll probably be back on the air within about 30 days. So we'll see what happens. But with that being said, that's all I have for you on this episode. I thank you for watching or listening to this one. Make sure if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts that you do leave a review on there as it does help the show out as well. Remember uh, to follow me on Gab, on uh, uh, Getter, uh, Telegram, wherever, pretty much every social media network you can find me on there for now. But uh, with that being said, I'm William Hall and this is The William Hall Show.